Well, hello, everyone. This is Jessica. And this is Caitlin. And this is the Calling All Spirits podcast. How are you today, Caitlin? I have been run off my feet. We had an event at work today. And by like one o'clock, I had almost 10,000 steps. Mm. And I am now at 13,765. To be moly. clear, when I go to work and I'm in the office, like I'm not at home, but I'm at work. Yeah. If I don't do anything extra, I maybe come home with three or 4,000 steps. <laughs> right. So I have 10,000 more than average. Wow. <laughs> What kind of event was it? It was the office Thanksgiving gathering. Oh, that's fun. That's awesome. Yeah. We were at one of the rec centers and it was nice to like meet new people. And there were just like last minute trips to the store and yes. just the usual running back and forth trying to figure out what things are. And since I'm the only one in any part of the office that has the freedom to handle these events, oh. they're officially on my instructions to handle things. Oh. And so it was a lot of fun. I've kind of become a low-key party planner in a weird way for just like monthly meetings and other things that require coordinating people because it falls under the category of program manager <laughs> well I love it and you're so good with people and honestly bringing different groups together you did that at the place we used to work so I mean I feel like that kind of comes naturally to you I think you're probably right <laughs> I can't seem to help it and so it's being channeled for good or at least the good of my career <laughs> Well, an early Thanksgiving yeah. dinner. Exactly. It was everybody was potluck style. Everybody brought stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun. I got to introduce several new people to the uh, vegetarian version of Olive Garden Zuppa Toscana, because um, that was Joey's favorite soup for like years. But because uh -huh. I can't do sausage, right. he went out of his way to find a vegetarian recipe, um, and it actually has no dairy either. It uses cashew cream, which. Since we buy the cashews in bulk now, I can make it really easily, and it's super yeah. inexpensive. Oh, my gosh. And it tastes really good, and it's always a hit with, like, random coworkers uh -huh. who try it whenever I bring it in for my lunch. So I'm like, you know what? I'll just bring it for everybody this time. Yeah. And it went over very well. Okay, next time you, like, come to my house, we I want to make that. I want to do, like, an I Absolutely. I am so totally. excited. <gasps> we need to do We need to do the whole the whole thing about cooking a soup and may or may not involve cackling over the cauldron on top of the stove. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yes. Okay. That's a plan. Now that I know Yay. you can make it, like we're going to make it like I'll buy, I'll buy all the ingredients if you make it for us. For sure. No worries. You'll pour me a cocktail. I'll make soup. It works. Hey, I am all for that. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> Oh, well, how is everything else going good? Uh, yeah, for the most part. I have no idea if we're doing anything next week because the family that we usually go visit, it's actually a friend's family, Why? and we absolutely adore them. But they have some things going on in their family that they are handling very, very well. Like, mm -hmm. they're doing all the things. But my family drama last month sapped me of my human energy, yeah. and so I don't know if I have it in me to drive to Houston and do a whole day of Thanksgiving-y things around people. Yeah, understand. So I might I might take my own advice that I give people every year, which is um, like to bring balance to the force, so to speak. Uh -huh. um, I know Thanksgiving is a really conflicted holiday for a lot of people. And so because I would still do the gathering and the food with people, I would then balance it by researching. Um, like if I was around my nieces and nephews, I'd be researching what native tribes were here before us oh, uh -huh. or yeah. uh, what's going on in native communities. Now, if you're in for a, a heavy topic, 
residential schools are back on the the topic of conversation. They're trying to get them better investigated. Oh, um, wow. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, taking my own advice and actually spending Thanksgiving doing that instead of the days before or the days after yeah, might be what I do instead. Okay. Okay. Well, completely understandable. And I'm sad we were not here because I'd be like, come spend it with us. But you probably don't want to drive 14 hours. <laughs> I really, really don't. (laughs) You've had enough (laughs) driving here lately. I have. Having to shoot up to Colorado and back last minute with no planning involved. I'm good on the driving for a little while. Well, that's kind of nice. Just staying. I don't know if it's, maybe it's relaxing, but just getting to kind of, I think just taking some time and just kind of having time to yourself is going to be really good for you too. Yeah. Well, cool. How are you doing? I think you have a long drive you're working towards. Oh my gosh, girl. (laughs) No, things are good. We're just, um, we are packing because we are headed to South Carolina for Thanksgiving. So we leave, uh, well, we'll already be there by the time this episode comes out, but we leave Saturday. (laughs) And um, so we're packing. I'm getting book recommendations. So I will be making the drive back. So if you have any book recommendations, anybody listening or like send them to me. I've already been told Grimoire Girl. Somebody sent me that one. I haven't even heard of that. Yeah, I haven't read it, so I can't like speak to it. But somebody sent me that one and said it was good. So I'm going to check it out. But I mean, really just getting ready for that. And I mean, we're decorating the historic house for Christmas now. Halloween has come down. We have Yay. gotten rid of all the spooky, even though it was so funny, Kate. I was looking in the drawers for some scissors. And there was a bloody fake severed finger in a Zimbabwe <laughs> And it even had like the fake blood and guts. And I'm like, do I go put this with the Halloween stuff or do I just leave it? And I just left it. I'm like, I just want to see somebody's face that opens a drawer and sees it. Exactly. Like the chaos gremlin that runs my brain is like, leave it. Leave it. Yes. And it looks real. Like if you first look at it, it looks so realistic. I'm like... Let's just leave this for somebody to find and see what happens. So um, I showed one of the other docents. She's like, oh, my God, that's disgusting. I'm like, I know. Halloween memories. Like, Right? Like, that's the point. Thanks for joining the conversation. Isn't it delightful? It was appropriate. We did Frankenstein. He had body parts. Exactly. It, it's all okay. Literally, dude was grave robbing left, right, and center. If you don't have body parts around for Frankenstein, then are you even in the laboratory? Exactly. Oh, and you would appreciate we did have a shovel next to the door like he had just come in from <laughs> and I love, I love it one of my favorite docents that was her contribution that was, well she contributed a lot but that was her idea I'm like this is why I love you this is why we work well together it is like her brain works in the best ways I adore her it does yep. so um the kitchen that has gone from Frankenstein and blood and guts to now 1950s Christmas with tinsel and popcorn garlands <laughs> but a bloody <laughs> severed finger hidden somewhere in that kitchen <laughs> I mean, holiday tragedies are often injury related. So, girl, could I get away with like they're cutting, they're about to cut the ham and they cut off a finger? Like, could I get away if there's carving, <laughs> carving the Christmas ham went really badly, really fast. Oh my gosh, I'm so tempted to hide it and just see if anybody or put it out and see if anybody notices. Like, I know I may have to do that at least one night. Like. Is somebody going to notice this finger? <laughs> you should do it the night that um, the, the the big event before the weekend of tours starts. Oh, my gosh. 
See if the curator can find it. Okay, I will do it for him. I will not mess up the docents because I adore them and I don't want anybody to get offended. Yes. But I will do it when the curator walks through just to see. Yeah. And then I will Because we it. also love the curator. We do. He brings us great joy. But we also know that he has a sadistic sense of humor sometimes and it'll go fine. He, he'll appreciate it. So we'll let him see it and then we'll hide it away for the rest of the season. <laughs> exactly. But um, anyway, so that that's I was hoping I'd have something tied to ghosts or mediumship it's like no i've just been decorating and packing but the house has felt wonderful i will say that on topic the spirits have felt very happy and it's felt so warm and it's though i did i swear i kept hearing somebody walking upstairs today like i'd take out my earbud because i'd be like what is that nothing i'd hear it again nothing i'm like okay i hear you (laughs) like i i gotcha but um, so I guess I did have something. I just can't say for sure, but it sure did sound like someone kept walking right above my head, which would be that top yeah. bedroom where he likes to hang out. So it makes sense. Yeah, that would definitely be. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask where you were downstairs so that you could hear the walking, but no, yeah. never mind. Yeah. yeah, that that sounds about right. <laughs> it does. So anyway, so Annette, that maybe that will lead into your topic tonight. Well, okay. <laughs> It does have to do with a medium and stuff. I mean, spirits making their presence known is applicable to, like, every episode of our show. (laughs) I know. I'm starting to give us a segue into the actual show. You're at least shifting us back on topic, which is, hey, ghosts. Exactly. (laughs) I I will say that I, I got the... Not the title of this episode, but like, actually, it might become the title depending on what our spirit guide thinks. But this quote that describes the situation uh-huh. about our topic today uh-huh. was it's from the book The Strange Case of Hellish Nell. Oh. And the way they described it was war and witchcraft, true crime, and the supernatural. Oh, that's fabulous. Right? That's a really good title. And that wasn't even the opening line of the book. That was on page four in the middle of a paragraph. I'm like, wait, that wasn't like part of the title. That was just on what? Uh -uh. Oh my god! Literally on like just page four. Oh no, that that needed to be like the name, like the subtitle or something. Exactly, or at least the opening line Mm -hmm. of the book or something. Agreed. But yeah, no, I thought that was just too perfect and too on point. Absolutely. Uh, so we are today talking about Hellish Nell, <laughs> uh, which was her nickname. But Helen Duncan, who you all know, we mentioned before, she has the spectacular ectoplasm photographs that we shared after that episode. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> we will be sharing a lot of those pictures again and probably some new ones because I can't remember which ones I picked, but there's dozens and I'm sure I can find new ones. But she is known not just for her ectoplasm uh, chicanery, but for being the spiritualist medium and kind of the last person in Britain to be tried and sentenced under the 1735 Witchcraft Act. Apparently there was somebody who was tried after her before they did away and updated the act, but we never hear about her and I can't remember her name off the top of my head, so... Yeah, I, I didn't even I know will, that. I will try to remember that. Yeah, uh, I listened to I listened to so many podcasts on this topic. <laughs> I could only find the one book. Uh-huh. So I'm like, okay, cool. Articles and podcasts to the rescue. Yeah. And a lot of people have covered her. I believe it. I feel I, just because she what? Well, I guess there was one more, but she's con- she's famous for being the so, so-called last one. So I, I get that. 
Exactly. And I mean, and it's it's an easy thing to kind of get someone's attention because you're talking about the Witchcraft Act of 1735 and the last person was tried in 1944. It's crazy. Like, it was 200 years later she was tried under the same wow. act. Like, this was World War II and she was being tried under something from before the American Revolution. We thought it ended. Like, after Salem and all that, we learned our lesson. No, we did not. No, we learned nothing. Humanity's history is a flat circle a lot of yeah, the time. Yeah, it just kept, kept continuing. <laughs> to set the stage, yes. um, obviously I will be giving everyone a breakdown of her personal history, mm-hmm. but before we start there, what is this witchcraft act that they were able to try her under? Yes, I want to know. Uh, I found a blog on archives.blog.parliament.uk, mm. and it was written back in 2020, so it's pretty recent right the history of laws against magic and witchcraft in i think because this is a uk article pretty sure they're just going to be focusing on england and the united kingdom of course but before the famous witchcraft act of 1603 Mm -hmm. that we all do actually know about a little bit there was a patchwork basically of different legislations throughout england wales scotland and ireland Mm-hmm. And that was the idea was, of course, to control magic and witchcraft. Mm-hmm. The first one of these was an act against conjurations, witchcrafts, sorcery, and enchantments passed by Henry VIII in 1541. Oh, we know him. He was such a <laughs> we big... don't know him for this, we know him for other reasons. Say, he was such a big fan of women, <laughs> you right? He was super focused in his yeah. a- attention towards women. Oh, Oh, Lord. Okay, so so this is under him. I'm, why am I not This shocked? is under him. And in this act, magical practices, which were disruptive or caused harm to the realm and its subjects, were deemed unacceptable and adjudged by felony. Oh. It was basically a crime punishable by death and a forfeiture of goods and chattels. So you lost your stuff and you died. Yeah, he seems like a big fan of that one. Yeah. But what is cool is that in this period, the issue wasn't with all types of magic. Um, There were still groups of people known as cunning folk. Uh, They had a lot of the healing techniques Uh and the treatments to help take care of the community. Even things like finding lost items. And I'm pretty sure like low-key giving like marriage therapy. Oh, wow. And counseling. Uh Uh-huh. But like that was not what was being focused on by the authorities who were trying to enforce this act. They were the ones who were, they were aiming for the people who had like the ill-intended things like harming their neighbors or animals, stealing money with help from the sprites or any oh. other form of supernatural spite between neighbors. Okay. Or you could just be being a bad neighbor. Why do we have to bring bring in like the little, aren't the sprites like the fairies? They are one of the kind of fairy, yes. And they are wonderfully devious, delightful, and... Uh, Glorious creatures. Wow. Okay. Depending on who you are and what your experience is with them. I love it. I think they're fabulous. I love it. Now, the Act of 1541 lasted until 1547. Okay. When Henry's son, Edward VI, repealed it. Oh. Okay. And so it was just gone. Uh Uh-huh. Until 1561, when Queen Elizabeth reinstated one. This is the 1562 Act Against Conjurations, Enchantments, and Witchcrafts. Okay, so what was she focused on? I think she just reinstated it. Oh, she just reinstated it. Okay. Yeah. She just brought it back. Um, Okay. And then we have the 1603 Witchcraft Act, which moved witch trials away from church courts into ordinary courts. Mm. 
Oh, uh, apparently the 1562 act, sorry, like they described this backwards and I thought I had just missed the part that explained it. Mm -hmm. Sorry. The 1562 act amended the terms of punishment to distinguish between minor and capital offenses and introduced a two strikes and you're out kind of system. So for a first or minor offense, you'd be imprisoned for a year without bail. Okay. With with quarterly humiliation in the market square. Okay. And then two minor offenses or a major offense would result in the death. Uh, we have records of murder by witchcraft coming out after this act. What? People were uh, reporting murder by witchcraft. Oh, Lord. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, all these witchcraft acts, I just can't help but roll my eyes and be like, give me an... Like, it just, I'm just frustrated by all of it. Like, it's so dumb like Mm -hmm. and i know they believe this i know it's a different time but it just frustrates me oh yeah and like there are degrees of which i can understand like i can see like you know there are there are spells and manifestation work to harm people Mm -hmm. i don't know of anyone in my 20-ish years in the the pagan Mm -hmm. witch community who've actually achieved murder by witchcraft yeah exactly like at most, you might be able to claim that your your uh, sour jar caused a stubbed toe, <laughs> or like a, a a car accident, maybe. But like, um, and even that's a stretch. That's yeah. literally just claiming it after right. you've done the thing. That's right. like, like no, no, no. Well, and I mean, it's and back then, I'm not saying there weren't people that I know. This goes back so, um so many years, and it's been practiced for so long. So I'm not disregarding that. But, like, all these people they are trying and maybe even killing, like, how many were actually doing, even trying to do that? Or are they, it just feels, are they like, oh, they looked at me wrong. They may have been casting a spell on me. It's like, throw them in person. I mean, it's just like, how many were even actually trying to do that? Probably none. Or, yeah. It's just, to me, it's just. Or they were trying to do something because you were doing that to other people and they thought it was stupid. Exactly. Or they were maybe trying to help someone or, hey, Heal or try this and this and yeah, I I don't know why this boils my blood, but it does <laughs> every time oh, this no, topic comes are, up. You are not alone in that. <laughs> um, I have a calm tone to my voice because I'm in presentation mode. <laughs> well, if this subject comes up again while we're talking to your lawyer husband and I'm making soup with cocktails <laughs> in hand, this will be a very different conversation. Oh yes, and I'm sure it will because it all like. What came with them to America came from England. I mean, that's where they were coming from. Exactly. Okay. I I know I have to get (laughs) off my soapbox and let you continue. I just, oh, I get so frustrated with these laws. No, for sure. And we're not done yet. (laughs) So you're just going to continue being frustrated. I'll have a drink of wine and calm down. You can do the first part. Good luck with the second. (laughs) (laughs) That brings us to the 1603 Witchcraft Mm -hmm. Act. And that one's generally the most well known for historians in this particular interest Mm -hmm. field because it's tied so closely to the european witch hunts like this is james the first's law it's the one that triggers all of the focus on women Mm -hmm. and witches and demons Mm -hmm. which all lived in james the first's head because he was obsessed with demons and witches and their relationships because i don't know if he had night terrors or what but boy was Mm -hmm. fixated yeah And then in 1735, until this point, witchcraft was seen as a legitimate threat. Like, it was Mm -hmm. a force with the ability to cause harm to people and property and society should be trying to control it with the law. 
1735 repealed all of those acts. Okay. Like, all of them. In England and Scotland. Uh, the Irish acts apparently weren't repealed until 1821. Oh, wow. But suffice to say, all magic, witchcraft, and fortune telling was now fraudulent, and the practitioners were marked as con artists and vagrants. <sighs> Okay. Two passages from the Witchcraft Act of 1735 kind of get into the two major changes. Um, there's a much bigger definition of bad magic. Mm -hmm. Any kind of witchcraft, sorcery, enchantment, conjuration, or undertaking to tell fortunes to pretend or have any occult or crafty science. And the false and fraudulent nature of magical practices. And then any pretense to such acts or arts or powers as before mentioned, whereby ignorant persons are frequently deluded and defrauded. So either actually doing the thing or right. pretending to do the thing, both of them are illegal and you're screwed. Wow. Okay. And under this new act, the accused would face imprisonment for one year per offense. Oh. So you weren't being executed, but every time you got caught or tried for this and found guilty, you had a year. And if you had several offenses in one trial... You'd be in prison for like two, three, five years. Wow. So good news, bad news. We're not going to kill you, but we are going to throw you in jail for a couple of years. So there's that. Basically, like you're 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 screwed, but you're you're not super screwed, but you are screwed. Yeah, I'm sure those prisons were wonderful back then. <laughs> I'm sure they were uh, great accommodations. Oh, spectacular ones. I'm sure. Yeah. So into this world <laughs> is born. Our lead character of tonight's episode, uh, Miss Victorian Helen McFarlane. Okay. Um, or McFay. I've seen her name written both ways, mm. but that was her, her, her board name. Right. She was born in Perthshire in 1897 in Scotland. Her father was a slater, which means apparently he worked on slate roofs. Mm. Yeah, I that learned makes... that one this morning listening to a podcast. I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. That is. Makes sense. Very cool. And from a very young age, she had her special abilities, which is a story that we are all very familiar with. Yes. At school, she would alarm her fellow pupils with dire prophecies and hysterical behavior. Oh. Um, her, her, mom, her mom and dad didn't necessarily take issue with her doing this until it became clear that this was going to be a pattern of behavior and she might be... In more trouble growing up from outside sources. Okay, that makes sense. She basically possessed a clairvoyant and spirit-seeing abilities. Once at school, the teacher wrote some questions on a blackboard, and the students all had to write the answers on their slates. Mm -hmm. Helen wrote the numbers of the questions, but did not know the answers. So she prayed for help, and to her astonishment, the answers appeared on her slate. Oh my god. I, wow. I was like, um, could I, I could have used that in school. That would have been very oh, helpful. Oh, God, yeah. Especially in the chem labs. Like, I did not know the answer to some of those oh equations. Oh, my God. I wouldn't have had to pay. So we wouldn't have had to pay so much for tutors to get me through, like, college and, like, math and <laughs> science. Like, that would have been brilliant. Right? Oh, no fair. Well, it, it didn't pan out quite as uh -oh. uh, hoped because the teacher saw that the answers weren't in her, quote, childish scrawl, as he put it, uh -huh. and accused her of cheating. Oh, and here's the part that gets me is uh, Helen, of course, denied that she had copied other children's answers. But if it's not in her handwriting, who wrote it? Dude, did you see anybody writing on her slate? That's a very good point. Like, if it's not in her handwriting, that's the giveaway. She's not the one who copied the answer. 
Were you think they're passing them around like notes? Like what even? Probably didn't even think about it back then. Just was like, cheater and just called her out. Yeah, basically. Mm. In another story about school, Helen kept thinking of the number 1066. And later during a history lesson, as the teacher was talking about the Battle of Hastings and wrote 1066 on the blackboard, he suffered a heart attack. What? Oh, my God. So the alert was coming through, but all she was picking up on was 1066. Wow. Oh, that's a little traumatic. Right? Yeah. And it was like, as her abilities were getting stronger and stuff, her mom actually apparently got so concerned that she took her teenage daughter to a local doctor for him to check to see if there's anything physically wrong Mm -hmm. with her eyesight and hearing. The doctor couldn't find anything wrong, obviously. And at the end of their appointment, Helen actually warned the doctor to stay away from his car and not drive that night. (gasps) Did he listen? Uh, No, he laughed her off. And uh, the night... Had a little bit of a snowstorm going on. Yeah. And the roads were slicker than he anticipated. Locals were concerned when he, like, he was missing. And so they were out looking for him. And they only found his car because young Helen had told them where to look. Oh, my gosh. Her ability to know where the car was and that he was going to die to the, uh, due to this car accident that night was very upsetting to her mother. And was probably one of the situations that led to her mom giving three dire prophecies to her daughter's future. Oh, my gosh. It's you can tell in hindsight, it was literally mom being scared for daughter and trying to get her on any form of the straight and narrow. Right. So she's not harassed later by people. Yes. Um, because mom's saying you'll be thrown in a dungeon. Mm-hmm. You'll be tried as a witch. Yeah. And you'll be burned alive in a hellfire. Oh, that's intense. But they also did burn people there. So Yes, I'm gonna say the European witch trials did have burnings. Yeah. So that's not it's not an absurd thing, right. but it's also a bit intense, Mom. Yeah. That that's a lot, but if I if that was me, I would be scared to death and probably never do it again. That would work on me. I I would be good after that. Well, you're, fortunately for our story, <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> Hellish Nell does not have that opinion. Oh. And in fact, uh, her prediction of the village doctor's demise was contemned by the local Presbyterian minister who accused her of consorting with the devil and gave her the nickname Hellish Nell. Oh. I mean, I have to admit, everything she's predicting is bad. I really wouldn't want to be around her. You'd be scared like... Is she going to tell me something? Is she going to see? Like, it'd be one of those, like, what do you see? Please tell me you don't see anything. Because it doesn't seem good. No, it seems stressful to be around her all the yes. time, for sure. I, I, I kind of, I don't think she's working with the devil, but she's a little intense right now. <laughs> yes. She also seems to have very little concern for how she talks about what she's seeing. She doesn't ease you into it. She doesn't try to explain it in a way that's going to be easy for you to understand and grasp it's immediately don't drive your car tonight yeah uh, uh, but how how else am i supposed to get home like you you did what yeah no oh yeah anytime she walked in the room it'd be like okay i'm leaving i'm out bye <laughs> like, i don't even want her to talk look to at me. the time yes. i gotta go be elsewhere exactly. bye <laughs> oh lord oh my goodness so unsurprisingly, uh, when she got a little bit older and she was she left school, 
she did not stay in her tiny little hometown where everyone was scared to be around her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she went to Dundee, where at the outbreak of World War One, she worked at an ammunition factory, mm. and then as in a jute factory, and then later as a nurse. Mm. While working as a nurse, her best friend, Jean Duncan, introduced mm. Helen to her family, including her brother, Henry Duncan. Aww. And apparently, Henry's first words to Helen were, so we meet at last. <gasps> oh. They had both been having visions of each other before they met. Wait, what? Yep. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and this was a good vision. And- <laughs> It was a good vision. Like, she does have positive ones. I guess she just doesn't share them as, as often. And what's really cool is Henry had an interest in the supernatural. And so instead of suppressing Helen's interests and talents, he, like, nudged her and encouraged it. I love that. In 1916, the couple married. Henry had been uh, honorably discharged from the army because he had rheumatic fever while he was enlisted. Mm-hmm. And it badly damaged a valve in his heart. Oh, So, in his post-military career, he became a cabinet maker. Okay. Early married life, for obvious reasons, was a real struggle for them because they had very little income and increasingly more and more children. (laughs) And during those years, Helen tried to supplement that income by repairing and washing bedsheets and shirts for one penny an item. Oh, wow. And even took a job in a bleach mill. Oh, that sounds miserable. That is so hard on your lungs. Yes. It was during this time of their life that Helen had a premonition that Henry was in trouble. Oh, Lord. She bolted to his workshop and Uh. found that he had suffered a heart attack. Oh, my gosh. She managed to save his life. Okay, good. So we can can be happy. Um, But it was also an indicator that he could not work full time anymore. Yeah. So, like, their already super limited budget got even tighter. Oh, no. And... Because we all know Helen's skills, Henry encouraged her to develop her psychic talent even more, Mm -hmm. which by this point included clairvoyance, clairaudience, psychometry, and precognition. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Precognition seems to be her forte. Right? (laughs) That seems to definitely be her strongest skill set, not going to lie. Helen would often go into a deep sleep or trance, and it was during one of these that the voice of Dr. Williams... Uh, somebody who was coming through mm-hmm. told Henry that his wife had the potential to materialize spirits. Oh, so here's where we. He, this might not have been her skill set, but this is what she becomes famous for. Wow, lucky for us. <laughs> yes, otherwise we would not have the story to tell. Yes, and Henry was obviously excited, but Helen was kind of wary of developing her talent, as little good had come of it in the past. Mm-hmm. Which makes me wonder what she did in the past in materializations to make her be like, eh, not worth it, or no, don't want to. Yeah. E- either that, yeah, I don't know. Um, and it, I mean, initial experimental seances were with neighbors and friends and stuff. Um, they were kind of unpredictable mm-hmm. and even frightening at times, apparently. Well. Which doesn't really surprise me because um, while she was doing her materialization seances throughout her career, uh-huh. she was prone to nosebleeds and headaches. And so, you know what? I wouldn't want to do that either um no no yeah it's a lot it's a lot it's not just hey i have your grandma here's her message like exactly like putting aside how i feel about ectoplasm in general i voluntarily signing up for headaches and nosebleeds like i get those often enough thank you yeah no i would just say thank you spirit but no thank you 
I will stick with Wow, this. that is a spectacular skill to know that I have. I'm going that way. Yes, exactly. We do have free will. <laughs> we can do what we want. Yes. <laughs> it's almost like we can say the word no. <laughs> exactly. Oh, this story gets more intense as we go. Right? Now, because we are in a post- Davenport Brothers world, uh-huh. we have spirit cabinets are going to be important. And fortunately, she married a cabinet maker. <gasps> oh, my gosh. This is like a match made in heaven. <laughs> this is perfect. Right? So they basically built a wooden frame cupboard with a black curtain on the front. And Helen would sit inside and the cabinet would harness her energy and act as a type of portal for the spirits to materialize and appear to sitters. Wow. I still don't think cabinets work, and they are a very dumb idea. I, well, it just, it it leads, I mean, it's it would be so easy to accuse someone of fraud. Like, it's just, you're opening exactly. yourself That's what up gets me. to, this could be a fraud. Like, having a, a structure around you to help you channel your energy, I can get behind yes. that a hundred times a day. It just still seems like excessive work for something that is going to be frustrating. Yeah, I agree. Like, in private, I love that idea of being that close. Yeah, in. like, being like, able to go into my own spirit yes. cabinet and, like, meditate and channel and, like, yes. develop my skills. Absolutely. Yeah. But as part of a public seance, like, no. No. Not when you're trying to prove this is real and this isn't a fraud and this isn't fake. Like, you're just opening the door to that. Yeah. That's what I think, too. Like yeah. I mean, we, we had this whole argument with the Davenport brothers yeah, anyway. I don't get like, it. We, we're, we're both on the same page yes. on that one. Um, although, you know, none of our listeners ever has piped up with their opinions. Oh, that's true. I would love to know their thoughts because there are, I feel like it's more rare, but there are people that still use spirit cabinets today. Like, they haven't yeah. gone away. I mean, apparently the style of wearing a dress over pants is coming back. So no. Spirit, yeah. Oh, Lord. You know how you... So spirit cabinets would be a nice change of pace. The thing you could do nowadays is you could have, like, a camera or something in there so people could see you're not doing anything or pulling any tricks, and then you could be in there and be enclosed. True. So you do... So I guess we... If they come back, we do have that option, (laughs) like... This is very true. Yeah, but... Yeah. And with those words, just triggered the resurgence (laughs) of the spirit cabinet across the world. Maybe I need to patent one. The just, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> the, Avery the ghost camera spirit box combo. I mean, they're they're working <laughs> in technology and everything. Like, why can't we do it for a spirit cabinet? Honestly, I'm here for it. Let's go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what if you could go in there with like a blindfold and the ear things like you're just completely in this I'm gonna yeah, maybe we should bring it back. I am changing my mind on this. You know what? Yeah, like doing the sensory deprivation yes. thing and then having the camera. Especially if you go, if you do transmediumship, then you have a record of what you did while in a trance. Exactly. And people can see. Because not for nothing, that's what bothers me the most about the idea of going into a trance. Not having control of my body or memory of what I did. I know. There's a reason I don't, I didn't get blackout drunk in college all the time. I don't like that sensation. I've only done, I haven't studied it at all, but I was led through a very light one, like a very light it's it's different. It's very and this was just like a very teeny version of it, ten percent. And it's interesting how you bring the spirit in and literally, it, yeah. It's I don't I I don't know if I could do it. I don't think I'd like it. But then again, yeah. I'm such a control freak. 
it may be good because I just lose control. And here, here, what do you want to say? Just say it without me getting in the way or trying to interpret it as they're talking. Maybe I should try trans. With boundaries, because you have to remember to make sure they give you the body back. Yeah, yeah, no. And I know there are experts out there that study this, and I'm obviously not even close, but it, it's an interesting form of mediumship, I think. Maybe one day. Absolutely. Never say never. True, because whenever I say never, things <laughs> tend to happen. Like you're doing a podcast about like, Well, that's not even that one. I didn't say never say never. It was me just being scared of all things <laughs> death-related when I was a child. And, oh, look at that. My entire life circles around death, dying, and mourning practices. And your office is in a cemetery. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is true. Okay, sorry. I interrupted. So, yeah, don't say never. Caitlin is a case study and why you don't say never. <laughs> anyway. While Helen was in her trance in the cabinet, mm-hmm. <laughs> back on point, yes, uh, this is when she started being able to produce ectoplasm. Okay, from her mouth and nostrils. Yuck. Yuck! And the way they describe it in this one article, it's so viscerally upsetting that I can't not share it with you. Oh, oh, lucky me! ectoplasm is a white smoky mucus substance that can best be described as similar to how one's breath looks on a cold frosty morning i'm fine until they say the word mucus i'm fine (laughs) the part that got me too just a smoky like that that's fine don't throw in me like yeah it starts to remind me of condensed fog where it's almost slimy it's so thick And then I'm like, okay, cool. It's not just cheesecloth and egg whites that make me feel uncomfortable. The actual concept of ectoplasm may bother yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I was okay. Like, oh, well, props to her for doing it. I mean, apparently it was really amazing to her sitters. They described it like a magical mist or a living cobweb. Wow. Living cobweb intrigues me. I am down for living cobweb. That, I was about to say, that sounds pretty. I like that. Now, while she was developing this skill, the same voice that had instructed Henry that she had this ability, mm-hmm. um, Dr. Williams, warned Henry that no light must ever be shown on the ectoplasm, otherwise it would be extremely dangerous to Helen. What? But they wanted the sitters to be able to see, so I don't know if it was a compromise or if it was an original idea at the beginning of the process, uh-huh. but a dim red light was always on during the seances so that the sitters could see. Okay. But if you know... Like, you've been around red light areas. Right. Like, it it tweaks your brain a little bit. So you can kind of see how some of the ridiculous things that they did that we have pictures of with the puppets and the magazines pinned to cheesecloth. <laughs> um, they could look fairly believable yeah. if you have shadowy dim light. Oh, absolutely. You're not in a bright, well-lit room. And some of those... Not hers, but some of them were dark with maybe a candle or something. Like, it's really easy to see how they could pull this off. Although, realistically, I think I'd have an easier time processing what I was seeing if it was a, an actual flamed candle. Uh-huh. Well, that's Versus, true. like, those really dim red lights. Because, like, it screws with yeah. your shadow and depth perception so hard. If it's a properly well-lit red light, like, I know they use that in security settings or on some naval vessels because they need you to maintain your night vision because it doesn't mess with your pupils the same way. But they specified a dim red light, and so I can picture it, and I'm just like, that seems bad. It also seems like a horror movie, like sitting in a room with a dim red light. That just seems very scary. 
And it was in one of these sessions. So, like, back on story again, because yeah. I feel like we're doing extra bird walking in this episode. I know. I know. <laughs> so, back on topic. Um, during one of these sessions, we had Dr. Williams announce that Helen's spirit guide would now form from the ectoplasm and would look after Helen from now on. Oh, okay. Now, as a reminder to our listeners, if you are in the New Age, Occult, and Witchy World now, Spirit Guide now does not mean the same thing as Spirit Guide then. Yeah. Spirit Guide guide at this point in time still means person in spirit who is like your tour guide, babysitter, nanny person. Mm -hmm. They control who comes through. They control how you are and how well you're taken care of during your sessions. It's it's a whole... Mm -hmm. I must have a babysitter thing, honestly, because babysitter seems like the yeah. most accurate hey, description. Works. And so, from the ectoplasm swirled the shape of an elderly but distinguished man, oh. over six feet tall, Wow! who had an upright stature mm-hmm. and an educated voice with a trace of an Australian accent. I would like that as a guide. I mean... I love an Australian also, accent. Also, this is... Right. God, I love the Australian <laughs> yes. accent. There's a reason I love listening to Megan when she's talking. It makes me happy. Yes. Um, but keep in mind that Helen had a very thick Scottish brogue. Mm. And so this voice is an elderly, distinguished, deep baritone, polished, posh voice mm. that shows like travel and education. That's very interesting. There's actually a recording of both Helen and Albert talking. No. Oh my gosh. I know what I'm Googling. Was, like immediately. <laughs> right? Like what? you have to go listen to it. Go go Google it. Um, at the very least, the podcast that I listened like I heard it because they put it in the podcast I was listening to today. Oh my gosh. Oh, what's her name? Oh. I haven't even heard of yeah, this podcast. Yeah, what's her name? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, yeah, it's a podcast. I really like the way they did it. It was the first time I'd listened to them. But yeah, they had a guest on their episode as well. The person who does, what is the name of her podcast? Um, Macabre London, I oh, think is what it was. A new, a new- which is another one on my list to check out yes, now. Yes, absolutely. But they, she'd brought a, a recording for them to all listen to and they played it for us. And it's. Hard to understand with the accents and the quality of the recording. Right. But, uh, like, yeah, the fact that we have a recording of Helen and Albert is just like, what? Well, I just downloaded that episode, so I am excited to listen. Yay! Her guide became known as Uncle Albert. Okay. Love it. (laughs) And he basically was master of ceremonies Mm. at the seances. He would announce to the sitters who was coming through, what spirits were arriving, Sometimes Helen had another spirit guide, a young girl called Peggy, who would skip around the room singing songs, <laughs> which sounds charming until you think about the context, and then yeah. suddenly it sounds like a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, like a small child ghost skipping around singing songs in the dark, hard pass with a red light. Yeah. I can just hear like "Ring around the road." That's horrifying. <laughs> Peggy needs to go back. Exactly, Peggy. Yes, Peggy can. She can. She can chill with Helen. We're good. Yeah, Bye. Albert, keep her out. Kick her out. <laughs> no thank you yeah no well apparently the rest of the world was not that upset by peggy because word (laughs) spread that helen had shifted from being just clairvoyant to a materialization medium Mm -hmm. 
And by the mid-1920s, she was famous, in demand, and traveling all over the UK. Mm -mm. Every morning, the postman would actually bring requests from all over the UK for sittings and invitations for Henry and Helen to visit. Love it. For the small fee that she charged for all the seances and the sittings, Mm -hmm. Helen apparently spent a lot of that on the sick children of neighbors (gasps) because medical care was expensive. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And this was before the NHS. So, like, I may love Helen Duncan now. Right? She just won me over. That's amazing. I also love this the the balance in the sentence. She was a kindly soul to those who were civil to her, but was not one to take abuse without giving the abuser a piece of her mind. Okay, she may be my favorite now. <laughs> Helen Duncan may be my favorite. Okay, love it. She is pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't argue with that at Mm-mm. all. It was around this time the Scottish Spiritualist Society invited Helen to give regular seances to their members who were impressed and astonished at what they were witnessing. Mm -hmm. Um, They actually presented her with a certificate endorsing her talent as a materialization medium. Very cool. However, when Helen and Henry learned how much the sitters paid to attend those seances compared to how little they were paid as the medium, Uh they, uh, they refused to be exploited. And this was the first rift with the spiritualist organizations that continued on and off for the rest of Helen's life. Don't blame them. And by this point in time, Henry is basically Helen's manager. Mm-hmm. And in 1931, he was so very confident in his wife's talent that he agreed to let Mr. Harry Price witness and test her psychic abilities. <gasps> we know him. We do. And we are going to have to do a whole episode on him. Like, I know he's on the list for next season, but like every time I read more about him, I'm like, yeah, we need we need to cover this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, he's already on my list. For sure. Like, by this point in time, he's not only a prolific author, he's known as a media personality. Oh, yeah. No, he and Houdini would have gotten along really well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, he he's described as a complete cynic so many times in so many different sources. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely not. And because Helen, like we've seen, she has a pretty kindly demeanor. Like, mm-hmm. she cares about the people around her and believed that she was using her talent to help people. Mm-hmm. So dealing with a cynic like Price, mm-hmm. who announced that he thought all mediums were guilty of fraud until proven genuine, that's asking for trouble out the gate. Yeah, y'all. yeah. I would not let him test me. There's no way. Apparently, he witnessed a number of controlled test seances, mm-hmm. and at one of them, he took a sample of ectoplasm, which then dissipated in the bottle. <gasps> oh, that's cool. Right. That's very cool. His obvious conclusion was that the spirits that Helen produced were no more than trickery with a sheet of cheesecloth. Of course. But, like, the the tricky bit here to understand, Helen always wore a black gown, mm-hmm. and before she put it on, that gown was passed around the sitters. Wow. Like, everyone was allowed to, insp- they were encouraged, not even allowed, they were encouraged to inspect every inch of what she was going to wear, mm-hmm. and she was examined completely naked by <gasps> women from the group before every sitting to confirm that no piece of cloth was concealed about or inside her body. Oh my gosh. Like, she would go from completely naked to putting on a dress with witnesses who had just looked at all, looked over every inch of the dress. Wow. So, Price's theory was that she regurgitated the cheesecloth and then used it like a puppeteer to create the spirits. Wait, that doesn't even make sense, though. Okay, I get, okay, I I can get someone can make it come back up. But then how are you going to make it look like spirits after... It's been 
swallow. You know what? I, like how after that? I could see just. A- and then what do you do with it again afterwards? Like because the ectoplasm was gone when the lights came on. Yeah, that makes no sense. Like, I mean, if it could look gross and be sitting there, but for it to actually form into spirits. No, there's no way. It doesn't make any sense. Uh-uh, none. And he also claimed well, the way they phrase it in this one, he claims that her refusal to be x-rayed. So there was actually a whole dramatic interlude with her being x-rayed. They agreed that, you know, because they were being paid to be tested by him. Right. And so they agreed to several tests. And one of the tests was Price wanted to x-ray Helen's body. Uh And like with modern knowledge, we're like, cheesecloth wouldn't show on an x-ray, yo. Apparently he was looking for anything like a safety pin or an anchor that would have been part of the swallowing. Oh, oh. PSA, don't swallow safety pins, y'all. No. It doesn't come up in the story, but, like, don't. That's a bad idea. No. And I'm sorry. I don't. She's already standing there nude, being completely examined and probably poked and prodded. I, like, what else do you want? I would probably say no. Like. Well, she had a, she went into a trance and had a hysterical fit and ran out into the road. (gasps) Oh. She wasn't hit by the car or anything. Like, this is still. Like, yeah, her husband went after her and uh, calmed her down and brought her back in. Yeah. And this one, I have, I agree with both people in this scenario, unfortunately. So Helen's, like, finally calmer, so I will agree to be x-rayed. I've had a minute to process. Right. We can do it. It's fine. Like, okay, that you, you had a minute to calm down. I've been there. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Price wouldn't x-ray her at that point because she'd been out of the control situation and could have squirreled away any of the ectoplasm if she had swallowed it. She could have, like, vomited and disposed of it. Yeah, I see. Because she was out in the street. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, that's also valid. Mm -hmm. Like, that cynicism kind of warranted. I can see why you skipped it. Yeah. But her refusal, the way this article phrased it, to be x-rayed, led him to believe that she might have a second stomach. Like a cow. I can't. Oh, you have no idea. He, you know how when, um, well, you'll see it a lot on social media. When someone does not have a good argument or a good response to an Mm -hmm. argument, just, they just disagree with you or they just just disagree with the person who's talking. They go after physical features like you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid, what have you. He was relentless about talking about her weight. (gasps) Oh, no. Endlessly. Oh, I hate him. He thought she might have a second stomach because she was heavy set. <gasps> now, she did have diabetes, and that does come into play a little bit later because when she's arrested, she has to make sure she has her insulin mm-hmm. and stuff. But, like, yeah, no. And it's just, and a lot of people actually ran hard into that with her, which is such a stupid parallel or counterpoint to what we hear with, like, the young women who are seen as too attractive. This is inappropriate. You're yeah. just prancing around for men to watch you. Okay, so it's a bigger woman. She's just a cow, apparently. Oh, my God. That is so uncalled for. Like, that, he is, he is awful. That's awful. Like, it was very, very good that some of the podcasts that they shared the detail. The podcasters also were like, oh, I cannot believe he keeps doing this. It is horrible. Yeah. But then they would share what he said. I'm glad I was outside. I probably would have worried the roommates a little bit with how many random things I was throwing just like because I was picking pecans off the ground because the pecan tree is producing. <laughs> but I would just be like, because I'd get like, you know, the husk or the hull or yeah. the rotten nut. And I'd just like fling it really hard because 
He was an absolute relentless jerk about this. Yeah, no, that's awful. Just say, or just say, I don't even care if you're like, she's a fraud. I don't know how she's a fraud. Fine. But to bring in her weight and her appearance and the sex, that, mm, I'm not going to cuss, but that, that's bull. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. He's, do we have to cover him? I know we have to. But we don't have to be we nice. We do, and that might, <laughs> no, we don't. We don't have to be I nice. managed <laughs> If I can manage to avoid the most of the cussing when talking about the Fox sisters and Elias <laughs> Kane, then I think we can get through Harry Price. We can. We can. And he upset Arthur Conan Doyle, which so I, he's also yes, on my bad list for he that, He did, too. actually. Horrible human. Okay. What happens next? <laughs> <laughs> It seems improbable that so many different sitters over the years would have been uh, fooled by someone vomiting cheesecloth. Mm -hmm. His theory gained some vindication apparently in 1934 because there was a seance where a sitter named Miss Mall, Mm -hmm. who was a friend of Price, uh, grabbed at Peggy, the little girl Mm -hmm. spirit guide. And in the resulting commotion, the cops were called. And when they arrived, she alleged that the spirit was an undervest stuffed with newspaper really helen responded with the fact that the garment had been taken from her traveling bag and was simply being used to discredit her well it's like for those back then it's so like i don't know at the at court helen was accused of both affray and fraud and she pled not guilty and although eight people were at the seance only three appeared for the prosecution even miss mall the woman who accused the spirit guide of just being an undervest um, even she admitted that at the same time as the spirit guide Albert was talking, Helen could be heard breathing deeply in her trance. Wait, what? Wow. So continuing through time, uh, Helen's still building popularity and reputation in the 30s and 40s. She was all over the UK, like I said, holding hundreds of seances in spiritualist churches and in homes of spiritualists. And her materializations were not only astonishing, like it was the usual version of bringing them comfort for loved ones who'd moved on. And when World War II starts, there's an increased demand for people looking for closure because they've lost, they've lost people. And it was during the years of the Second World War that uh, her activities attracted the attention of the military. Ooh, that's never good. Right? She held a seance in Edinburgh in May of 1941, mm-hmm. and one of the sitters was Brigadier Firebrace, who had been with Ian Fleming in Moscow in 1939, um, but he had connections with intelligence services. And in the seance, Albert claimed that a British battleship had just been sunk. <gasps> okay. Albert also, and this the, these are the two things that I find fascinating, too. Albert also said that the Russians would enter the war on the side of the Allies. Okay. Which, at the time, was highly unlikely because they had just signed a non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany in 1939. Wow. Okay. Yes. And that the war would end with two big bangs. <gasps> no. Yeah. That just gave me chills. Oh, that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Chill bumps all over. So, yeah. With the benefit of historical hindsight, those two were just like. He said what now? In 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 1941, he said that? What? That weirds me out, actually. That weirds mm-hmm. me out. Okay, yeah, so he's accurate. Yep. Wow. Uh, but for 1941, because another of those two things, like, it's just a prediction right. we're still waiting for it to play out. Um, the part that got to the brigadier was 
listening to hear that the battleship had been sunk. Uh-huh. And he, he, after the seance, he listened to hear news if there had been a battleship sunk, uh-huh. but there wasn't mention of anyone. And so he rang the Admiralty and the officials denied it. Uh-huh. However, in the morning, the same official rang him back and confirmed that the HMS Hood had been sunk by the Bismarck and asked to know how Firebrace had known oh. even before most of the sections of the Admiralty had known. Oh, my gosh. Later that same year, in November of 1941, Helen had another seance in Portsmouth, also known as the home port of the Royal Navy. Mm-hmm. And the spirit of a sailor in uniform materialized, complete with the name HMS Barnum on or Barham on his cap band. Mm-hmm. Sitters heard him declare to his mother, who was one of the sitters, that his ship had sunk with a great loss of life. This is one of the places where there's a split version of the story based on historical record, from what I can tell. Uh-huh. A lot of the more popular spiritualist sided ones say that the shocked mother couldn't was responded like it can't be right i hadn't been notified of my son's death Mm -hmm. the spirit sailor claimed that she would be notified by the military in three weeks before he faded away wow and the sailor's mother was so concerned that she contacted the admiralty who sent two officials around to question her Mm -hmm. the admiralty knew through german radio communications that had been intercepted that the germans only thought minor damage had been caused to the ship Uh and in reality, the ship had blown up only a few minutes after being hit by a U-boat tor- torpedo. Wow. And the Royal Navy wanted the German Navy to think that the Barham was still a threat to the Mediterranean rather than, you know, sunk on the bottom of it. Right. And so they'd gone to great lengths, including writing holiday postcards to the families of the soldiers who had died to make them think their loved ones were still alive <gasps> to keep news of the sinking from the public. Okay, that just feels wrong. That's... Uh, there's a good thing it's a good thing that there's not very little evidence of that part being true yeah oh i'd hope not the other version of the story mm-hmm. is that while they had done a great deal to keep the sinking quiet the military did inform the families of the deaths of soldiers that had simply warned them to keep the news quiet not tell anyone gotcha. but this meant that Thousands of people all over England, including Portsmouth, had already known about the loss of lives and the ship was sinking. Wow. And one of the podcasts I was listening to actually postulated that it's very possible that since the mother already knew about her son passing, this could have been a cold read done by Helen. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. I'm like, oh, that's a very different angle of the story. And if y'all remember from our Tricks of the Seance episode, it's the where you kind of have a vague question and then you kind of narrow it down based on the feedback you get from the person where you're looking at body movements, breathing changes, all that, all such stuff. And really, really talented con artists can do a lot with a cold read. That's true. I mean, and it could have been. I'm not denying that or... Yeah, no, that's interesting. I was thinking she could have been reading her psychically if if the mom already knew, like just pulling it also psychically possible. instead of as a medium. But, but I mean, who's who knows? Who could say for any of that? That's interesting. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, another flaw in the story is that at this point in time, none of the sailors were wearing the name of their ship on their cap mm. because of the the loss of lives and the the soldiers being moved around so much from ship to ship. There was just a shift in the military uniform and it just said HMS mm. on all of their hat brooms. They didn't actually put your ship name on there. Gotcha. And so why would this soldier have a hat brim with the name on it? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's true. Um, however, others that attended that seance said they saw spirits of loved ones and appeared in the form and dressed in the way the sitter most readily recognized them mm-hmm. and how they most fondly recognized them, not how they were at the time of their death. Interesting. Very interesting. But more pertinently for Helen, it alerted authorities that she was a potential security risk. Not good. Not good. <laughs> Especially since preparations for D-Day had started. <gasps> oh, yeah. Oh, dear. And training had gone badly uh, to this point. Uh, many troops had died, and they worried that the spirits of one of the soldiers could appear at one of Helen's seances and tell the sitters how and where they died. And uh, an astute sitter might make a guess as to when and where the invasion might actually be happening. Right. Instead of in the different rumored areas that they were pumping out mm. to make sure that the German forces stayed split amongst Europe. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And because of what Helen had brought up and because of the paranoia about security risks. So it was decided by Chief Constable West of the Hampshire Police that it's better safe than sorry to make the plan. West didn't know whether Helen's seances were lucky guesses or had some validity, validity, but for the sake of all the soldiers preparing to storm the French coast, he was determined to lock her out of harm's way. Lock her out of harm's way. Interesting phrasing. <laughs> So, in January of 1944, Helen was invited to hold a seance at a master temple above a chemist shop in Portsmouth. Okay. That seance was raided by police, and Helen was initially arrested under Section 4 of the Vagrancy Act, a minor offense that would be tried by local magistrates. Mm-hmm. And actually, her fame at the time is uh, was so, so intensely famous, the BBC interrupted coverage of the Russian advances on the Eastern Front to announce that she had been arrested. Holy cow! That's crazy! I did not know she was, right? like, that famous. She was that famous. Wow. And unfortunately, at this point, authorities decided that her case was more serious and used Section 4 of the Witchcraft Act of 1735 oh. covering fraudulent spiritual activity, which was triable before a jury and so they locked her up denied bail and put her on trial wow wow oh my gosh (laughs) crazy crazy um her trial for pretending to conjure up evil and malicious spirits uh it became a kind of cause celeb in wartime london it was headlines and daily newspapers it was the talk of the town (laughs) Oh my god. The gosh. police had expected to find evidence of fraud, such as a sheet, but had failed to find anything. So their case was therefore based on the logic that Helen must have pretended because no such thing exists. What? Which then meant that Helen had to prove the existence of life after death in order to get acquitted. Okay, sorry, listeners can't see me. My eyes just go, like, wait, what? <laughs> In order to be let go, she had to prove that life after death was a thing. You know, that thing that people haven't been able to concisively prove throughout all of human history. I mean, it makes me think, like, I get nervous before mediumship reading. Just like, okay, let's hope this goes well. Like, could you imagine the stakes of that one? Like, no, no, thank you. No. Hard pass. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my God. I will say the good news is that her lawyer was also a spiritualist. That ha- yeah. So at least she like she had somebody legitimately in her corner. It wasn't somebody working for the defense who was just doing it for the job. It was somebody 
honestly, he saw this as an opportunity to promote spiritualism and tried to get the judge to agree to hold a seance and let the jurors and everyone else present believe their own eyes. The seance request was initially refused by the judge, but while the prosecution only produced five witnesses, two of which were the policemen involved in her arrest, mm -hmm. the defense produced 49 witnesses. Oh, Including a district sessions judge, a reverend, a doctor, a wing commander, and a theater critic. <laughs> Wait. I love the but last basically, one. because her her representative, like he knew there was no legal or there's legally no limit on the number of defense witnesses he could call, uh -huh. and there was no shortage of volunteers because everyone wanted to support yeah. her and come out and talk about it. So he basically just like kept bombarding the judge with witness after witness after witness after witness, trying to get him to cave to a seance. I love it. And can I just say, a theater critic. I love that. Right? <laughs> I love it. I give her four stars. I can believe it. Exactly. All the stars. All the stars. Oh my gosh. Hey, I mean, the gambit technically worked. Like, it didn't work out, but it worked. Mm -hmm. The judge finally offered the jury a demonstration of a seance if they would think that such a demonstration would be helpful mm -hmm. on the condition that he didn't call any more defense witnesses. Oh, we have to talk about this with our spirit counsel. This is brilliant. <laughs> this is brilliant. I love it. Oh, we're going to include this without a doubt. Now, the downside is that it didn't work out because oh. the jury didn't think it was going to be helpful so they said no oh after all that yup oh my gosh it was a problem and so unsurprisingly helen was found guilty yeah. and anxious to get her the maximum prison sentence available chief constable west described helen as a national pest and unmitigated humbug <laughs> humbug and in so doing he divulged that she had disclosed the sinking of two ships before they were public knowledge mm. Making people wonder, how could Helen be guilty of pretending to conjure up spirits at the same time she's being condemned for being so accurate she was a threat to national security? Touche. I mean, she was still sentenced to nine months in Holloway Prison. She was she got time off for good behavior and she was only in there for six months. Okay. But, I mean, because of the loss of life scene in World War II, she, while promising initially to not hold any more seances, she, she kind of started working again. In 1951, the Witchcraft Act was actually repealed. Okay. Partly due to pressure from Winston Churchill. Interesting. Because he thought this whole court case was tomfoolery. Agree. And in its place came the Fraudulent Mediums Act. About four years later, in 1954, spiritualism was officially recognized as a proper religion by an act of parliament. Wow. So spiritualists everywhere knew why, and they were pleased that while frauds would be properly prosecuted, the authorities would stop harassing true mediums. Interesting. Very cool. They were wrong in their optimism. Oh. <laughs> and, I mean, depending on whether or not you think Helen was a fraud, a full fraud, or an entirely amazing medium who could manage to manifest ectoplasm. Mm -hmm. In 1956, another one of Helen's seances was raided by the police. <sighs> oh, no. No evidence of fraud was found, but in their ignorance, the police did the one thing they were never supposed to do, according to all the instructions around ectoplasm, that the medium in a trance must never ever be touched or have light shown on her right. or on them. And if it happens, the ectoplasm returns to the medium's body far too quickly and can cause immense, sometimes fatal damage. Oh my gosh. Uh-oh. 
A doctor was summoned and discovered two second-degree burns the size of saucers on Helen's stomach and breast. Oh, my gosh. In severe pain and shock, she was rushed to the hospital, but the burns never healed, and five weeks later, she passed in December of 1956. Oh, my gosh. Sorry, I'm processing that. I know this is, like, dead air, but I'm just like, (laughs) what? I was not expecting that to be the ending. I don't even know. Wow. Okay. It just makes me think, was it, I know we say this a lot about the mediums of that kind of era, because they are doing the spirit cabinets, and there's so much with the ectoplasm and all that. Mm-hmm. So I, this may sound weird to say, but it's like, so was it real? Like, oh my, like, that's what happened to her. With the burns on her chest and stomach, I, too. I know. Like, I don't know how to process that. I don't either. Because, like, we, especially since we see the pictures. Yeah. And they are clearly puppets. They are. No, exactly. I feel like that's why I'm so, I, I'm with you. That's why I'm like, wait, was, was it? Because I, I will say this. I think so many of them did have real abilities. I do. I, I don't think they were just complete fakes. But sometimes I think when they got into the ectoplasm and all that. I don't know how I feel about some of that part of what they did. But to think that's what killed her. Like that, that's what did it. I mean, I I kind of have to agree with, um, so when I started looking into Helen Duncan, I'm like, I knew this name sounded familiar. Because like initially when we looked into her, it was all ectoplasm. Right. When I was looking for a podcast to listen to, because I couldn't find any other books, I realized that I had listened to an episode on her back in uh, 2020 uh-huh. from Real Life Ghost Stories. <gasps> and um, and I actually have to agree with Dan, who sadly has since passed. Oh. But his assessment was basically like, yeah, she was faking the ectoplasm mm-hmm. and she may have been a fake medium, but her powers of prediction were on point. Yeah, I agree. Like, she was clearly pre- like. He didn't use the words, but clearly precognition and clairvoyance were a thing for her. Absolutely. 1,000%. Absolutely. But trying to keep up with the golden age of, you know, spiritualism, you have to be flashy to get attention. I mean, that's kind of why the spirit cabinet was developed with the Davenport brothers. Yeah. Was to be flashy and get attention. And so I can see that, and that's not, it's not that I can see it. That's kind of where I've landed on it is... She had very real skills. Right. They were not necessarily the ones she was known for. I like that. I like that. I, that makes a lot of sense. Doesn't explain the burns and why she died. Right. The rest of that. To be fair, she was not in great health. That's true. Her time in prison um, actually kind of helped her a little bit. And the initial prison stint while she was six months and exercising and not holding seances. Right. And she... Uh, she got a little bit healthier, right. but the food was also terrible, so I don't know what long-term malnutrition yeah. happened. And then, like, I can see the stress of being raided by the police again, causing a heart attack, but it was for burns. Yeah, and, no, exactly. I, there's probably a lot that we don't know, because then, also for her to pass, and then for them to be able to say, this is how she passed, it kind of leaves her a legacy, too. But I, I'm with you. I think that happened. I've, I've thought. Of, no, okay, let me phrase this. I'm not saying I've thought about it like I'm going to do it. But I, I getting in their headspace, like when you do a mediumship reading, Kate or psychic, when you're doing it the real way, 
I mean, it's it's a little scary. It's vulnerable. It's mm-hmm. you've got to go in there and be like, and maybe that's just because I'm I'm newer to it. I haven't been doing this my whole life, so for me, it's still every time a little like, oh no, there's a reason when it comes to mediumship, I still don't practice much <laughs> because I don't like being wrong, and I'm freaked out that I'm going to sabotage myself by having a panic. Exactly. Attack. Okay. Thank you. So I I can get in their mind frame. So it's like, well, I know I can do this. Like. I can have some control and make this happen. I would never do that, but I can see why if the stakes... Where the temptation to do so Yes, would be. thank you. Where the temptation, especially when the stakes are so high, you can see how people could like may have real abilities, but it's like, well, this is easier. I know this will work every single time. I, you yep. know, yeah, I, I see where the temptation could be in that um, for them, especially back then. Um Cause yeah, you better be having. And considering that, like, she was the primary, like, the primary breadwinner for her family. Yeah. Her husband couldn't work. They had six kids who made it through childhood. Right. Um. Like it, you you can see where the pressure would happen to make sure you're making ends meet. Well, exactly. Cause back then, now we're not expected to have objects float around a room and ectoplasm. Thank all the. Thank gods. God. So we don't oh have. So it's like it's not really a temptation now. I mean, you could try cold reading, which that would stress me out. <laughs> like I would know. That's what. It's just easier for me to tune in psychically. Like it's just so much easier to do it the real way than try to do that. I would never. I've been tempted, and I've kind of tried to practice cold reading a little bit specifically so that I can tell when coworkers right. are lying to me. Right. Yeah. But even then, it's easier to just know that, oh, nope, something triggered in my stomach. This is not accurate. I'm just going to be suspicious until you reveal yourself to me. Yeah. It's just easier to go in and tune in. It's just so much easier. Exactly. It's easier to be intuitive. Yeah, exactly. But back then, when you're expecting things to float around in ectoplasm, yeah. It's like, well, I can just fake that part of it. <laughs> and and it'll impress people. Like, I, I can... I get the temptation. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And But... It sounds like she was legit, though, in a lot of ways. A whole lot of ways. I mean, her childhood stories. Now, granted, I'm pretty sure they're her reminiscing. So, like, you know, we always take those with a grain of salt. But, honestly, it's the Russia joining on behalf of the Allies and the war ending with two big bombs in 1941 calling that. Yes. I'm like... I, I don't I don't know what to do with that. I don't either. So thank you all so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, um, first of all, let us know what you think about Miss Helen Duncan and uh, whether or not you think she was where she is on that spectrum of fraud to authentic. And then while you're logging in and telling us these things, you know, just appease the podcast gods by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Pod or Spotify or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And, of course, while you're there, hit subscribe. That way you know when we release new episodes. And, of course, as always, we want to hear from you. So let us know what you think about this episode. And if there are any spirited topics you want us to cover in future episodes, especially in Season 3, you can find us mm-hmm. I know, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, or you can email us at CallingAllSpiritsPod at gmail.com. And I don't care how lucky you're feeling, do not contact us via ectoplasm. <laughs> I, I second that. We Don't have email for a reason. <laughs> yes, we do. And thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.